welcome to Health, Happiness and Homeopathy. Hello, my name is Madeleine Innocent. I want to help you reach your greatest potential through holistic means, which are both logical and empowering. This podcast is about one of the most important and often under-considered maintaining causes of ill health. Just a quick update on what a maintaining cause is. Causes of poor health can be roughly divided into two categories, at least they can be with homeopathy. The exciting causes and the maintaining causes. Exciting causes are those that occur from a single event, such as an injury or nearly drowning, perhaps a shock, a grief, and you haven't fully recovered from it. A maintaining cause comes from repeating the insult over and over again, such as living in an, in an abusive relationship, living in a damp environment, constantly breathing in toxic fumes. You may be able to recover from a single insult, but the constant drip-drip effect wears your body down. It can't remain healthy. Things have to start going wrong. And the things that start to emerge tend to be reflective of your genetic inheritance. This means that the cause is the problem and not your genes. Take a moment to let that sink in because it is big. Food comes into this category by its daily consumption. So food is the subject of this podcast. My mother had little interest in producing imaginative imaginative meals, but she was passionate about getting the right nutrition. She'd gone to many talks on nutrition and understood its importance. So I had pretty good training from the get-go. She was into whole food. That meant brown flour, brown rice, brown sugar, not much animal protein, especially red meat, more fruit and veg. But I didn't fully embrace the importance of food until I discovered it for my cats. As I was exploring the more spiritual side of life, I met somebody who was into raw feeding of cats and dogs. Her reasoning was logical, although she didn't give me any guidelines. So for a few months it was very much trial and error and I received conflicting and terrible advice along the way. For instance, a cat I had with kidney issues, I was told that meat had too high a protein content content, and he should have beans instead. Beans? For a carnivore? Poor cat nearly starved and I'm certain that contributed to his early demise. He tried to tell me but I couldn't hear Happily, the others survived, and gradually, as I looked more to nature than to the experts for the answers, things fell into place. By that time, I had qualified as a homeopath and had set up shop. At that time, I was only helping local people as well as their animals. They were reporting back that simply the diet change, very often without the homeopathic treatment I had worked out, the cat or dog was improving. Not just that the ailment was improving, but so was their energy and joie de vivre. So that got me thinking, if a diet change to one of their ancestors, to what their ancestors ate, works for them, then it must work for us too, and of course it does. So what's our natural ancestral diet? 
I believe there are several pointers which I'll go into. We have a lot of misinformation about our ancestors. You could say we have a lot of misinformation about everything. It's banded about by virtually everyone that we were hunter-gatherers. I believe we were gatherer-hunters. Let me explain why. The earth would have been awash with lush forests, fertile plains, plants in abundance and animals everywhere. A few hum- the few humans that were there weren't industrialised, so no one was destroying the ecosystem. A human could- would have been able to wake up, walk out of the cave or wherever, <laughs> and collect fruit in abundance. The only hardship would have been cracking open nuts. With food galore for the asking, why go hunting? Hunting's a dangerous game. You need skill, endurance and tools. Did early man have tools to kill or to butcher for that matter? And hunting takes you away from your community for days. Injuries can result that may not have been easily treated and could have been perhaps fatal. Certainly there are areas in the world where plants don't grow, so the sparse human population relies on meat. Areas such as deserts and areas of permafrost or long cold winters. But these aren't the norm. And it's considered that these people had shorter lifespans than those who were eating a mainly plant-based diet. Another aspect to consider is the pH, the alkaline acid balance in our bodies. Our blood pH is critical. It cannot waver outside of very narrow tolerance, otherwise we die. And every species has a slightly different blood pH. Ours is 7.46. From school, we know that 7 is neutral on the pH scale. Any reading above 7 is alkaline. Anything below is acid. So our blood is alkaline, as are we. We can measure our body pH levels by taking readings at certain times of the day of our saliva and urine, and then working out the average. pH testers are easily available. There are certain factors which are alkaline-making and acid-making. Food is one, and an important one, as we eat every day. But emotions, too. Let's first look at food. All animal protein is acidic to our bodies, as are oils, white sugar, white flour, in fact all processed foods. Soft drinks are one of the most acidic drinks you can get. All plant foods, fruit, vegetables, nuts and seeds are alkalizing to our body. Interestingly, some foods that are acidic on the outside are actually alkalizing on the inside. Foods such as citrus fruit and apple cider vinegar. In fact, lemon, along with watermelon, is one of the most alkalizing foods there is. So adding lemon to your daily diet can make a big difference. Dr. Baroudi created a chart which is colourful and informative with all the pH ratings of different foods. Hanging it on your kitchen wall can be a constant reminder. And I have some laminated copies if you're interested. 
As any good gardener will tell you, the pH of the soil is critical to the health of the plants. You can't grow most vegetables in an acid soil and you can't grow some berries in an alkaline soil. It all depends where they naturally grow and how they adapted to these conditions. It's just the same with us. The pH of our soil or our body is critical to our health. There are also uh, emotional issues that change our pH. When people live in a constant state of fear, anxiety, worry, anger, frustration, any strong unsettling emotion, it will lower their pH, making them more acidic. Ring any recent bells? So you can see how emotions affect your physical health. It's virtually impossible to be too alkaline, as the first worry will immediately lower that, and most humans are worriers. Okay, now I want to add another dimension to the reason why humans are natural plant eaters. Let's take a look at how human anatomy can tell us what foods we should be eating. Cats are undisputed carnivores, known as obligate carnivores, as they cannot live without meat. All felines are big and small. I believe that in the mammal range, the polar bear is the only other true carnivore. You can see why, as they live in an area with very short seasonal plant growth. Horses are undisputed herbivores, as are all other grazing animals. Humans, along with chimpanzees, uh, dogs and various other species, are omnivores, meaning they can survive on both meat and plant matter. I.e. there can be periods when the diet is all plant-based or all animal protein-based. Or they can have a mixture, but they do better on the one they are closely aligned to. What the bulk of our food should be depends on which end of the scale the species is closest to the herbivore end or the carnivore end of the omnivores. For the purpose of this exercise, I'm comparing humans with dogs. We're both omnivores, but at different ends of the scale. Let's look at how we can see which end of the scale each are in, depending upon anatomical facts. Carnivores have spiky, sharp and pointed teeth to capture prey, to tear meat off a bone, and to crunch up bones. Their jaws don't have a sideways grinding action. Herbivores have blunt and squarish teeth to grind up tough plant matter. They have a sideways grinding action that is necessary for grinding up cellulose and seeds, hard seeds and things like that. Dogs have spiky teeth with no sideways action. Humans have blunt teeth with a sideways action. Carnivores have short intestines, about three times their body length, as raw meat is quickly processed by the gut. Herbivores have long intestines, about ten times their body length, as plant matter takes longer to be processed and absorbed. Dogs have short intestines. Humans have long intestines, about ten times the body length. Carnivores have strong stomach acid to digest meat. Herbivores' stomach acid is about 20 times weaker. 
Dogs have strong stomach acid. They can easily consume rotting meat and are immune to problems that, from doing so. Human stomach acid is weak and matches the strength of a herbivore. Carnivores have acid saliva, which does not contain tyolin. Herbivores have alkaline saliva that contains tyolin. Tyolin aids the um, predigestion of plant matter. Dog saliva is acidic with no tyolin. Human saliva is alkaline and contains tyolin. Carnivores have claws to restrain their prey. Herbivores have no claws. Dogs have claws. Humans have no claws. Carnivores perspire through their paw pads and by panting. Herbivores perspire through skin pores. Dogs perspire by panting and through their paw pads. Humans sweat through skin pores. Carnivores need a high-protein diet. Humans only need a diet of 10% protein to maintain good health. All vegetables contain protein. The vegetable that has the lowest protein level is the humble spud at 10%. However, much of the protein is situated near the skin of the potato, so peeling can remove much of it. This means that if you eat a healthy diet high in fresh fruit and vegetables, you'll get all your protein requirements without resorting to animal protein. Now let's look at dairy. All milk is made by the mother for the benefit of her baby. Every species has a different need, a different growth rate. Every species' milk has different protein levels, fat and nutritional percentages to cater for this. For example, a baby cow, goat or sheep, where most of our milk comes from, will grow to full maturity in a single year. Yet it takes a human 15 to 18 years. Obviously, we need very different nutrients. The West is the largest consumer of dairy. It's also the part of the world with the most osteoporosis. Rural China, before the influence of the West, consumed no dairy, and the population had no osteoporosis. So does dairy give you the the calcium you need? How can it, when you're not only weaned, but not a cow, a goat or a sheep? The best sources of calcium for humans in terms of digestibility and assimilation is green leafy vegetables, nuts and seeds. Consider a cow, a rhino or an elephant. What do they eat? They eat grass, which is, if you like, a green leafy vegetable. However did we become convinced... I would say hoodwinked or sold down the path, that it was cow's milk that would provide us with calcium rather than the food these animals ate, which provides all their calcium, which is a green leafy vegetable. I'm discussing diet here, but consider another factor that affects us. A baby cow is taken away from the mother either at birth or soon afterwards. 
That's the worst thing you can do to any mother, or baby for that matter. The grief is extreme. The end user, the consumer, will be getting a big dose of extreme grief, the most fundamental grief, the break in the mother-baby bond. In addition, a lactating mother makes more hormones than normal. She's also pregnant again to ensure a constant supply of milk for the farmer. She's also fed a synthetic hormone to increase her supply, unless it's organic. What do you think that these three hormones might do to your hormones, especially to women's hormones? Women who may already be suffering from menstrual problems, fertility issues, pregnancy issues, menopausal issues. Of course, men are affected too, but to a much lesser extent. Male fertility is said to be at an all-time low. Just for the record, I'm neither a dietitian nor a nutritionist. I simply like to seek out areas that influence health. Neither am I trying to convince you of anything. As far as I'm concerned, I try to give you indisputable facts, that is, to any critical thinker, and then it's up to you to make up your own mind. And take it as read that I don't know everything, but, you know, neither does anyone. We're all still learning, and I really doubt we've barely scratched the surface yet, in anything. We're all learning all the time. Some of our firmest beliefs are based on a tissue of lies I'm discovering. Talk about the emperor's clothes. I'm fully aware that people love reasons to keep their bad habits, and I feel that's why the keto and paleo diets have become so popular. The keto diet can only ever have a short-term value, and that's because ketosis is part of the way we adapt to unfavourable conditions i.e. when there are no carbs to use, the favourite go-to the body reaches for. The high fat and oil, the high animal protein, the low carbs can't benefit us in the long term. In addition, there are no long-term studies that find it favourable. In fact, quite the opposite. The paleo diet is better as they do advocate a diet high in fruit and vegetables as well as animal protein, but that diet will put our protein levels up to 16%. And that's a level that can cause cancer, as well as all other complaints, to arise, as T. Colin Campbell, a PhD researcher, discovered. Of course, none of this is really of any value unless we can see clinical results. Research is all very well, but you still need to see concrete results in patients. There's a growing number of MDs, nutritionists and concerned people who advocate this diet. Not only do they see short-term improvements in their patients who do the dietary switch, they follow them for years and their health just keeps on improving. As it does in dogs and cats who are fed raw meat and bones. Most of them have websites with recipes to get you started, and I've listed many of the important ones on my website, which is twolegsandfour.com.au. You can either add forward slash other dash resources at the end of that, or check at the bottom of any page for that link, other resources. 
and you'll find the list of MDs. And it's interesting because MDs do have a very high turnover of patients, so they can get a big cross-section of society, a very good um, look at what's happening. What about faux meat? Nothing processed or tampered with ever has even the remotest similarity to food, to real food, or in quality nutrition. Just check the list of ingredients if you need further convincing. And remember that the list won't tell you anything about the processing or the catalysts used, many of which can be highly toxic. Your body is to is designed to eat real food. It knows exactly what to do with real food and is perfectly equipped to deal with it and to utilise it. From the type of saliva you have, the type of teeth and jaw action you have, the pH of your stomach acid, the type of bile the liver and gallbladder release, the absorbability of the nutrients as the mass passes through the intestines, to the easy release at the end all in perfect harmony. I recall a butcher's wife telling me once she had no idea that a high plant-based diet provided such a brilliantly working digestive tract, a problem she'd suffered with for decades on her high animal protein diet. She didn't need any treatment. She just changed her diet. Her indigestion, her gas, her distension, her pain and her constipation all vanished, never to return as long as she maintained the diet. Till the next time, good health.